Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the 18th chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. You know, friends, one of the interesting things about being a pastor is that uh, the sermon writing process gives you an opportunity for introspection, which isn't afforded to all that many people. Patterns in speech, quirks, tics, mannerisms, pet peeves, and anaphora are all on display to you, the congregation, as well as to me. As I looked at the gospel text for today, one such aphorism I've noticed popping up again and again lately in my preaching uh, became evident, and it's something that I perceive to be a rather disturbing propensity in our nation, to attack and insult our brothers and sisters whenever we have a disagreement. Whether it's verbally or via social media, whether it's through tasteless, profane, or insulting bumper stickers that even appear on vehicles and elementary school pickup lines, whether it's canceling others who express controversial opinions instead of seeking common grounds and a peaceful resolution, or, sadly, whether it's public outbursts of physical or armed violence. At the risk of sounding like a broken record again, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I tell you, these things are wrong. And not just some of them, not just the obvious ones, not just the ones which you yourself have not taken part in, they are all clear violations of God's law. For God's law tells us plainly to be at peace with our neighbor, to explain everything in the kindest way, to seek reconciliation when we have wronged or been wronged by another. In 2020, the Social Progress Index published a report which examines various factors contributing to the general wellness of a whole myriad of participating nations from around the globe. The results of this report were pretty discouraging for the United States that year. For the first time since the index began tracking the quality of life conditions of citizens, people in our nation found themselves in a worse overall standard of living than in the previous decade. Diving further into this study, it becomes apparent that production, exporting, average income, and employment rates all saw forward momentum, even with periods of recession. Yet despite these positive economic factors, life expectancy was down. Citizens reported a sharp dive in job satisfaction. Add on to that trust in government and even meaningful relationships with one another. Depression and anxiety rates increased, while even prior to the pandemic, community engagement plummeted. In a nation as rich as our United States, the evidence of this deterioration pointed to failures not material, but cultural. 
People feel isolated. They feel disenfranchised, estranged from their neighbors and bitter towards their officials. Friends, I tell you, these symptoms are symptoms of an utter abdication of moral imagination. We are not showing up for each other. We are behaving selfishly. We have allowed petty politics and tribalism to divide us from those whom God has given us to love and to serve. We are, in short, not being good neighbors. Of course, as a pastor, though, I cannot help but look at these alarming trends and notice a strong corollary between them and social disengagement from the church. Though this is not the central task of the Christian faith, the church does provide for its adherents a clear moral framework and social directive. This directive, which I observe to be notably absent from our shared national rhetoric, is brought before Jesus in today's gospel reading. For here in Matthew 18, we hear again from Simon Peter. This time, he approaches his Lord, and he asks a loaded question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Well, of course, this is to say in contemporary terms, God, when I am angry with my neighbor, when I am sick of my coworkers, when I am fed up with my governor, and when I'm running dry on tolerance for that group over there that doesn't agree with me, how long exactly am I supposed to bear with them? More to the point, when can I rightly bear up against them? When can I take charge and give them their comeuppance? This is a question that I imagine many of you have asked before. How long, O Lord? How long? How long do you expect me to live with these people? How many times do you want me to turn the other cheek before I can satisfy my anger? Before I can post that nasty meme? Make that crude gesture. Spread that harsh gossip. Look out for the interests of number one and just, well, forget all the rest. You really want me to hang in as many as seven times? Because that's just about as far as I could see myself stretching my empathy for you know who. Friends, Jesus' answer to Peter in this text should stand as a scathing rebuke of our 21st century sensibilities. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, seven times seven, depending on your translation. Unless we misinterpret what Jesus is saying, he tells his disciples a parable, a parable that many of us have heard before, the parable of the unforgiving servant, the man in debt up to his eyeballs, who appeals to his benefactor for mercy, and then somehow, out of mercy, has his debt canceled. But then after this, he turns around and he sees his neighbor, a fellow servant who is indebted to him for just a fraction of what he had previously owed. And immediately forgetting that grace which was shown to him just a moment before, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the man refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the whole debt. 
when that man's master heard what he had done to his fellow servant, he was rightly dismayed. Summoning his servant back to himself, he bemoaned, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In righteous anger, the master then throws that servant in prison until he should pay every last penny of what was owed. Now, the lesson of this tale is blatantly obvious even to a world that is so preoccupied with its own brand of personal justice. The Apostle Paul, in fact, summarizes this point uh, in his epistle to the church in Ephesus, where he writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is one of the earliest lessons that we teach our children in Christian homes. In fact, it was probably one of the very first memory lessons that many of you can recall learning from Sunday school. Despite our familiarity with this passage, we still fail to put it into action over and over again. The English poet, Alexander Pope, once wrote, to err is human, to forgive divine. Jesus, the divine God in flesh, he calls those who would follow him to be forgiving. Not just once or twice, but time and time again. The answer to Peter's question, forgive every time. Forgive till you're blue in the face. Forgive until it hurts. And why? Because this is exactly how Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Patiently, unyieldingly, excruciatingly. He forgave you your lies and your slander. He forgave you your idolatry and your infidelity. He forgave you your anger and your violence. He forgave you the scourge and the nails and the thorns and the cross. Taking all these onto himself, Jesus bore them gladly, suffering the death that you and I rightly earned with our debt to sin and forgiving them all. In mercy and pity, did Jesus Christ so empathize with you in all of your human sinful plight that he would offer up his very life for the sake of your own. And now, you would come to him asking how long you must suffer your neighbor and his insults. Well, that's not fair, Pastor, I hear you say. Am I just supposed to stand there like a doormat? Am I supposed to just ignore the sin of the spouse who is caught in adultery? The supervisor who is harassing his employees? The instigator carrying around an assault rifle in a grocery store? Of course not. Jesus does not tell you to turn a blind eye to sin, to anything contrary to God's word. I'm not urging you this morning to condone or to imitate sinful behavior. What I am telling you is that in any and every circumstance, your Lord and Savior has commanded you to forgive your neighbor. Lest, like that wicked servant, your heart be hardened and you throw away that gift of mercy which was given you so generously from Calvary's cross. So also, says Jesus, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
Jesus has called you in his church to forgive. And not just any kind of forgiveness, but forgiveness by that same measure with which he daily and richly forgives you. Not so long as it feels good, not so long as you think you can handle it. Rather, the responsibility of the Christian is the responsibility of radical empathy. To see in your neighbor's sin, that sin which once condemned you to death, and so be to him the image of Christ, acknowledging that which was done for you on the cross. Show pity to the pitiless. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. These are Christ-like things. And as daily and often as your neighbor sins against you, forgive him. For daily and often do we turn to the altar of God in this place and confess, Most merciful God, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sin and iniquity with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. I want you to stop for a moment and imagine. Imagine if the 78th time that you come into this church and make that confession that God simply vacated his mercy seat and left you to languish in unforgiven sin. But no, as King David wrote in the 103rd Psalm, this is not the way that the Lord does things. The Lord is merciful and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from you. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice and give thanks for that forgiveness which has been so richly and so mercifully lavished upon you. And in this rejoicing, be imitators of Christ. Be ready and eager to make reconciliation with all those whose sin still burdens them and whose sin still divides you from one another. Forgive them that their debt may be put before the Christ of Calvary who makes answer for every sin and every trespass. In his most merciful name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.